Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Hi, welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Before we get started with today's show, Jay and I would like to welcome all of our new listeners, newish listeners, and to thank all of you for your support, whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the very beginning. Our audience has grown a lot in the last month, which is due almost entirely to listeners like you recommending the show to their friends on social media. So if you like what we're doing here on The Politics Guys, we hope you can take a few seconds and mention us on Facebook, Twitter, or even email to your friends and followers. Our website, politicsguys.com, has all of our episodes as well as links to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Again, thanks very much for listening. And now, on to this week's show. Our top story this week is early last week, in where in response to the terror attack in Paris, 26 governors from across the U.S. announced that they would not be accepting Syrian refugees. While the states don't actually have the legal authority to reject refugees, the House of Representatives is hoping to essentially stop what's been a trickle, really, of Syrian refugees that have been coming into the U.S. since the beginning of that civil war there in 2011. And so to that end, on Thursday, the House overwhelmingly approved a measure to drastically tighten the current screening process. And this was in a pretty strong vote of 289 to 137, and 47 Democrats joined all but two Republicans in supporting it. And the measure would require that the director of the FBI, the secretary of Homeland Security, and the director of national intelligence confirm that each applicant from Syria and Iraq poses no threat. And this will be taken up by the Senate after the Thanksgiving recess, where its fate is certainly uncertain. But even if it does get past the Senate, President Obama said he'll veto it. So what's your take on this, Jay? Well, uh, as <clears throat> don't have to live like a refugee, Mike. Um, probably too soon. Uh, no, I, I think, uh, look, the, the Obama administration is, is taking the, the weird position, and, and uh, I think – this is why he's had some trouble with some Democrats on this. Uh, we need to take a take a look at uh, uh, our obligation to Syrian and Iraqi refugees. Uh, you know, I, I think we, uh, the United States has a moral obligation uh, to these folks uh, because of uh, the situations that brought them here, uh, particularly. Uh, lately in Syria, lately me in the past couple of years, uh, our our foreign policy, our statements for foreign policy, um, uh, uh, red lines, uh, whatnot, uh, are are really one of the major causes that, that are forcing these people have have uh, caused and exacerbated uh, the civil war going on. So, there. Are, so you, are you saying this is Obama's mess, and therefore that we have an obligation to clean up for our president's mess? I don't know if you'd call him. Well, our no, president. I'm saying I'm saying it's. You mentioned it's the red the, line thing. That's all I. You I'm know. saying no. I'm saying it's it's the United States mess. Okay. I can. I'll, I'll be you know broad enough to put it that way. Um, <clears throat> so no, uh, I think we do have a moral obligation uh, to to help these people who are uh, innocent victims of of uh what's what's going on over there and president uh, that obama said, that said uh we also have a situation where isis has has made it its intent clear that it would try to 
infiltrate the United States uh, through refugees. It's done so in France. Uh, so it's, I don't think it, it's unreasonable to say, uh, look, let's talk about the kind of screening processes we have. Let's make sure that they're secure. Uh, and if we, we slow down um, uh, the folks coming in here because of that, um, you know, that, right. that may be just a necessary well, cost. Well, and, to me, this is where the media has really failed in the past week, where everything, all the coverage or all the, the top coverage has been about what the House is saying, what the presidential candidates are saying. But there's been very little talk, or at least very little highly publicized talk about what our policies actually are in terms of screening. And, and you know, I feel like the media has an obligation to bring up these policy issues and not just cover cover the uh, electoral spectacle uh, behind it all or above it all, what have you. And, and that you can find that information if you dig. Certainly, uh, there was a there was a pretty good piece, as, as you mentioned earlier. On the, the Wall Street Journal had a piece, and some other outlets have done some stories on this, but they haven't been nearly as prominent as I would like them to be. Because if we're going to talk about in Improving or increasing, making our screening process more stringent. We should we should know first. Well, do we need to do that? Is our current right. process and and the assumption by so many people has been well. Obviously, since there was an attack in Paris, our screening process must not be sufficient. And where's the logic in that? There is no logic in that. We need to look well, at our the, process. No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what the, the logic is. And, and again, this is maybe getting distorted, muffled, uh, uh, you know, shouted over in the media. Is, is, look, we've got uh, how many million illegal immigrants that we can't tell where they are, what they're doing, uh, you know, so forth. There is a sense that uh, uh, America does not have a, a, a clear idea of who's coming and going in this country. Now, I'll, I'll and I'm, I'm sure you're about to jump on this, and, and rightfully so, uh, the process for refugees coming into the country is something different than say, someone applying for a student visa and overstaying yeah. that visa. Yeah, and, and in fact, the process that we have for taking in refugees or for screening refugees is uh, is considered to be one of the most stringent, uh, really, anywhere. And it's a, it's a long and involved process. There are a lot of steps, uh, much more stringent than our European allies and pretty much anyone else, where it starts with the, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees before we even get any potential refugees, they screen them, then some are maybe sent our way, at least not you know physically sent our way, but referred our way. And then we have a process with uh, involves the State Department, the FBI's Terrorist Screening Center, the DOD, the Department of Homeland Security. There are in-person interviews. There's biometric information that's taken. Databases are checked. And so, I mean, this is this is a long and involved process, takes on average 18 to 24 months. We're not just letting people in willy-nilly. This is a good process that I don't think we need to improve on. I, this is a, a solid, secure process. And yet, because so many people want to score political points, they're screaming about how we need to fix our process. It's not broken. We don't need to fix it. Well, I, I guess I'd respond where, uh, by saying we don't know that it's, it's uh, broken yet. Uh, but, uh, but well, okay, I'm fine. Sure, but I'm sure the, the French, the French thought their process uh, was fine until last week. Well, we know their process is a lot less stringent than ours, and <clears> and again, it's it, you put you in the position of trying to you know prove a negative uh, essentially. Right, right. And so, well, let me let me just hypothetically though make make the uh, well, I'm not hypothetically. I'll really make it um, <laughs> the argument um, uh, for the House position that 
the refugees that we're looking at uh, coming out of Syria and Iraq uh, are different than the refugees that we're typically dealing with. Uh, and that's precisely because we have an enemy that has uh, indicated its willingness uh, and its attempt and has, has shown that it has done this uh, to infiltrate countries by uh, putting uh, fake refugees out there and getting getting them in. So, no, I'm, I'm not arguing that uh, our process is necessarily insufficient. Uh, does it hurt to look at it further? Um no, I don't. I don't no. think so. And I guess, it's, it's, I guess, what are your what are your concerns as far as the House well, bill? Well, to me, it's this national security state thinking, this mindset saying that you can never be too safe, and really, what are a few civil liberties when it you know when in when exchange for being more safe? That kind of wait, thinking. Wait, 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 I think. wait, what, what civil liberties? Well, I'm just saying. Well, you're right. In this case, it's not civil <laughs> liberties, but I mean, it's that same sort of thinking. That same sort of surveillance state, that same sort of big brother, that same sort of, we'll get to this later on in the show, the same sort of, let's just throw a, cha- a tracking chip on everyone, or you know, if they're Muslim perhaps, that kind of thinking that I think just erodes what it means to be an American and what, what the American dream is, that whole kind of give me your tired, your poor, all that kind of stuff that honestly I still believe in. And I'd like to think that a lot of Americans still believe in it too, if they're not scared out of it by, by you know, these, these Trump type people uh, trying, to, trying to score cheap points. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, but I, I, I would highlight there's there's something, again, different from uh, accepting immigrants into your country, accepting refugees into your country, and, and taking a look at, as, as you've said, I mean, uh, there is already a stringent process in place. So uh, clearly, along the line, someone must have thought, we need to have a, a, a good process in finding out who's coming sure. in as yeah. a refugee and, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, even before ISIS and before these uh, these type of, of situations, Absolutely. because you know, quite honestly, let's 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 be frank. I mean, in most cases, if people are refugees, they're fleeing from a pretty bad situation yeah. uh, and a pretty chaotic situation. Now, I guess it was it was different back in uh, uh, you know years if you had uh, folks fleeing from countries where there are better records kept and so forth. I think that's some of the concern. Of the House bill uh, with with the House Republicans is uh, how do we even know the information that that we're getting uh, is is uh, is correct? How much information is out there uh, on these folks? Uh, you know who who've been living. I mean, not it, it again. I I don't. I'm not a national security expert, and I don't know what information is collected or how we would collect it. But uh, if we want to get a, a history of these folks. Uh, who have been living out in Syria somewhere, it's probably going to be sure. tougher than getting uh, Absolutely. the history of folks who are living in Canada. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I am sensitive to the, to the fact that we need to strike some sort of a balance. We can't just let everyone in and because they're refugees and for the most part they've had, you know, horrific lives and so forth. I, we, need to, we need to consider our internal security and certainly that needs to be paramount. But <clears throat> that what I object to is this, we will do, we will take any measure, do whatever we can to be 100% certain. And if that means... Closing off the borders? Well, we're going to close off the borders, and you know nobody has like, said close off the borders. No one has said the, the and that's that's a little essentially bit of close off the borders. The house though. has said the house has said let's have stricter scrutiny review from refugees coming from Syria and Iraq, the two places where we know ISIS is is uh, very active. So, oh, right. so it's, no, it's, I, it's not. No, I, I, I don't not... want to close off the border, but I'm. I, I again, I would. 
I guess it's just a difference of degree here. Um, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, I, I and I think I think President Obama's plan makes a lot of sense. It's not ten thousand. He wants to bring in ten thousand refugees in in the next year or so, and that that's a that's a pittance. That's a very small number, and I think we won't even be able to process that many given the you know the current process that we have right now. And and I think it's our humanitarian obligation. I I believe along with you that we did quite a lot to help. Uh, make this situation such a mess. And I believe we do have an obligation to, to help these people. Right. Okay. Well, we're in agreement on that. So, uh, uh, kind of moving on related actually to ISIS, there have been some greater calls in the wake of Paris for, uh, increased military action. For instance, last week on, well, tell you what, uh, can we talk about Donald Trump first though? Can we talk about, we, what, of course we can talk about Donald (laughs) Trump first. I mean, yeah, sure. Why not? Oh, and this, because this, I think ties in, I mean, his comments, um, about, uh, registering Muslims. His idiotic Um, comments about registering Muslims. Yes, exactly. Uh, and if, if you hadn't heard, I mean, essentially he was asked, uh, would you have uh, Muslims uh, in America register? He said he, we need a database. And again, it's it's sort of the Trump vagueness that sort of feeds into this. It's sort of a, we need a, a database of these people. Uh, and a reporter asked him, do you mean database? With, well, yeah, all Muslims. And, you know, I want to register and how to register. And, you know, well, ask then, where can they register? Well, lots of places, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then and then when, when a reporter asked him, well, how or someone asked him, how would this be different from what the Nazis did? Uh, his response was, well, you tell me, Which, you know, someone pointed out, this, uh, someone later pointed out, say, it's rare that you see a candidate with the, um, I guess you would call political courage to not challenge, uh, uh, you know, uh, an analogy between something he's proposing and something the Nazis did. Right. Uh, although, although, again, I might, we've, we've talked before about the, uh, the reductio ad Hitlerum uh, yeah. uh, uh, argument. Uh, and I think it's that's probably a little overstated because I I, I read the whole um, exchange between Trump and the reporter mm-hmm. as did I and and I, I do think it's it's less a thing of of uh, a matter of Donald Trump is a fascist and and wants yeah. to register everybody and keep track of people more more of a more a sense of he's just shooting from the hip exactly and making yeah. shit up as he goes along you can tell he doesn't <laughs> really think about any of these things it just kind of comes out and uh yeah exactly yeah what the why the hell not yeah i mean it was sort of a uh so i, I don't to, to say it's sort of a a, a fascist uh, ideology and and again i, I would he may be say, a fascist we don't know he could just be correct. a shooting from the hip fascist which just hasn't uh, really thought it through he's yeah exactly a, so you know <laughs> After after giving a careful consideration, I've decided I am in fact a fascist, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah so. But no, I mean, I I think most folks and, and a lot of the uh, other Republican candidates are now taking shots at him on this. That the idea that that you would uh, register uh, all American Muslims is uh, uh, you know horribly offensive. offensive. Yeah, everything that that uh, we ought to believe in. Now, again, if maybe he was thinking, do we keep track of of, um, of refugees coming in? Well, yeah, I think that's that's perfectly reasonable, and I Absolutely. there's a, a position or a, a system that we do that by. And quite honestly, we have a, a system that uh, you know we we find out where immigrants are coming in and when they're supposed to be here and when there's now that system may not work well. Uh, but I mean, again, there, there is a yeah. system. So yeah, absolutely. So so I do, I just wanted to throw that in there because I know you like to take shots at Donald Trump. I, but, uh, I wanted do. to defend him a little bit. Maybe maybe defends the wrong word, but uh, or maybe again indict the media uh, because I, I don't I don't think he's uh, 
he's he's saying this he is a uh, serious he's, plan. He's just sort of making stuff up as yeah, he goes along. Donald and, Trump really doesn't have too many serious plans uh, about anything, for that matter. You know, and that that reminds me. Uh, also, in the news this week is a report that came out of uh, Ben Carson's camp, where his one of his top foreign policy advisors was quoted as saying. Nobody's been able to sit down with him and have him get one iota of intelligent information about the Middle East. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of thing you'd expect the other side to say, not your own top foreign policy people. Um, And I think the reason I bring this up is not just to take a shot at Ben Carson, though I am doing that and I'm happy to do that. But I think the reason I bring this up, in fact, I know the reason I bring this up is this is the danger of having amateurs – running for president or at least being serious candidates because they haven't thought this stuff through. They don't have the background. You put them in dangerous, important situations like this, and they're going to flounder. And that's absolutely what we do not want to see happening. And that's why I think both Carson and Trump, despite the fact that they're atop the primary polls, would be just absolutely horrifically bad presidents, not just in foreign policy, but in domestic policy. And and I still think that the Republican voters will have the good sense to finally reject them when push comes to shove and, and you know, nominate someone like a, a Marco Rubio, who, while I may not like his policies, won't exactly be a, a total and complete knucklehead when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> As Trump would say, a, a total disaster. Exactly. Yeah, a total complete, disaster. ISIS is a complete disaster. Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, look, uh, Time, time will tell, and I'm, you know, I've, I'm surprised at the longevity of the, um, the outsider candidates. But uh, end of the day, I agree. Uh, when people start voting, they're not going to, they're not yeah. still going to be those those top tier folks. And I think it's starting to show already. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of complete disasters, uh, Jeb Bush, uh, he's trying to revitalize his campaign a little bit. Last week, he was on a couple news shows. He gave a speech at the Citadel, that's that uh, South Carolina Military right. College. Uh, saying that he felt that we should essentially go to war, uh, more or less, against uh, against ISIS. They called for more ground troops uh, right in there. And uh, Hillary Clinton didn't exactly join him in this. She wasn't calling for ground troops, but she also called for more military involvement. She was talking about a no-fly zone, more airstrikes, and expanded deployment of special forces to assist uh, the, the local troops who are on the ground there. So what do you think about that, Jay? Do you think uh, – do you agree with Bush and or Clinton on this? Well, I I, I, I hesitate to say anything where I agree with Clinton, but, I but yes. So. Um, you know, it's, this is a, those are solutions that are, are, might not be political, politically palatable, uh, but they are solutions. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's a serious plan as to, as opposed to just saying, well, these guys, the JV team and, you know, come on and and kind of laughing them off. Um, you know, that, that may be the, the, uh, the solution is we actually do have to go to war, have to commit ground troops, and it's going to be up to a a president uh, to be able to make that case. That here is a this is a, a, a uh, you know first of all evil a threat to basically civilization, uh, and it's in our national interest to stop it. And see, um, I disagree with you there. I, I think certainly that these folks are these are bad people. Uh, I, I don't think they're a threat to civilization. And so I think the idea of committing U.S. ground – I always have a problem with what are called uh, chicken hawks. And chicken hawks, for listeners who don't know, these are people who don't have any involvement, have never had any involvement, experience in the military, and yet seem to be very comfortable sending other people's kids 
overseas to fight and die for things that they feel are important. And I have a huge problem with that. And I definitely think Jeb Bush is a chicken hawk. And I absolutely would not support sending ground troops in to take care of uh, to take care of ISIS. Well, would you would you support it if Obama did it? No, I wouldn't support it if Obama did it either. It's not about who's calling for it. It's about what I well, feel. Well, no, if it's a chicken hawk argument, then it is about who's calling well, for no, it. Well, no, he'd only rather be a chicken than, hawk. That's what you're saying. Rather than the, yeah. the, the, the no, correctness he, or incorrectness of the policy. But President Obama's not calling for it. I mean, he's, he's pretty much ruled out any sort of direct military combat forces in there, and I agree with that stance. So, well, you that, know. I would, but here's, here's where I am. I, I would rather have a chicken hawk who's correct than a, a non-chicken hawk who's wrong. Well, sure. I, I'm not saying – I'm not talking about the correctness of the policy. I just always tend to question these people who seem, again, who, who, haven't, who haven't served, who have no danger of anyone or have very little danger of anyone that they know or love or care about going over there and dying, saying, well, you send your kids over there. We'll send well, these people over here to defend F- us. That's- FDR didn't serve in the military. but No, he didn't. But, but clearly uh, the was, war on Germany and Japan was the, was the correct way to go. Well, yeah, that was a whole different situation. Now, there was a threat <laughs> to civilization, absolutely. But ISIS, not so much. And I totally think <clears throat> that ground troops would not be the way to go. I don't agree with Hillary Clinton on a ton of stuff. But in this case, I absolutely – I think I, I tend to agree with her saying that, yeah, we should up our involvement as long as it doesn't directly threaten uh, American lives. So that's kind of how I feel about that. Well, I, I and, and I think maybe there's there's no way to do that though. I mean, to say we ought to up our involvement, uh, and again, you have groups like you know Anonymous is going to hack them and, yeah, and right, uh, withhold them and all that kind of stuff, which is all all well and good. Um, but uh, is it is it going to win the war? No. So you no, know, I, I think at some point you have to just step back and say, well, what what can we do? What should we do? And, and who? Who should take the lead on this? And I would suggest that maybe we shouldn't take the lead on this. Russia seems to be awfully interested in in going forth and, and having the lead role. And, you know, at some point, so maybe we should just let them, hey, go have at it. You know, uh, I well, that's a that's a discussion for another day. I'm, uh, as as I've said a number of times, I mean. You're either you're either uh, leading the world or, or you're not. Um, well, I don't think we, we can lead the entire world. We've been in a position to, to lead it for the last 50 years or so. Uh, I, I think we have to pick our spots. And I don't think, I mean, I think we try to do what we can, but we have to appreciate the fact that what we can do here is limited. And we can't just make these things magically happen without some sort of cost. And, and I think what we're in most danger of doing is doing kind of a half measure sort of thing and just inflaming even more people. Because if you're gonna, if you're gonna, I think with these groups, you either have to commit to completely wiping them out, or you just shouldn't get involved in the first place. Because if you do a half measure, you just tend to increase recruiting, increase the anger, and make the situation even worse. And some folks would say that's exactly what happened with what Jeb Bush's brother did in in Iraq, and just making a bad situation worse. And I would tend to agree with that. You know, if we're gonna, it's go big or don't go at all. And I don't think we should go big. I think we should just, to the extent we can, to, to, to stay out of it. All right. All right. Fair enough. I would, I would be more on the go big uh, side of things. Um, uh, and and that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting discussion because I, I'd agree with you that criticism of Bush, that uh, we didn't go, go big enough in Iraq to start. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would say that, Jeb Bush idea of of doing more commitment and really seeing it through that's that's a tough sell and uh, people will have to evaluate whether it's it's in our national interest yeah. 
uh, well, to, to commit those kind of resources. Well, here's what I think. Uh, since since 9-11, we've spent several trillion dollars, several trillion dollars on uh, attempting to root out terrorism and this global war on terror. And by by some measures, we, we might actually be worse off than when we started off. Uh, and so what would it take to go big? It would take, I think it would take such a massive commitment of U.S. resources to absolutely dwarf what we've done so far. And I, I just think that that would be a, a horribly, horribly bad idea. So okay. anyway, anyway let's, let, let's move on from, from that to fish. Right. Genetically altered fish. Frankenfish. Franken yes. yes. Okay. Well, the story here is on Thursday, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved a genetically engineered salmon as fit for consumption, and this makes it the first genetically altered animal to be cleared for sale. So what do you think about Frankenfish, Jay? Would you mm, eat salmon? Oh sorry, it's called it's called the Aqua Advantage salmon. Would you have would you eat an Aqua <laughs> Advantage salmon? Yes, as you know. Aqua Advantage. Aqua Advantage. Um that's a horrible name. Uh you know, I mean I, I suppose just from the marketing you'd much rather have a coho or sockeye or you know what I mean? That's where Aqua Advantage is not well, you know, it's it's it the, the company so that the company that makes it is Aqua Bounty, so I guess, you know, they thought, well, okay, Aqua Advantage. But yeah, the naming needs some help. Now this salmon actually has been under review since the nineteen nineties. So it's nearly twenty years for this thing to get approved, but Understandably so, because this would be again, it was the first uh, the first uh, animal to be cleared, you know, genetically altered altered animal to be okayed for human consumption. So that's kind of a big deal. Well, and this is this is something where uh, it's sort of funny because I, I I think I know where you are in this issue, um, which is which is probably not where you people might expect you to be. Uh, but uh, no, I, I have, uh, I think genetically modified uh, uh, foods are, are fantastic. Uh, I was horribly disappointed when um, Chipotle announced that they were no longer having genetically right. modified. That's a big thing uh, on the left, absolutely, that this fear of GMOs. And the fear here uh, a lot of people have is that these fish, which are designed to grow bigger and grow bigger more quickly, will get into the regular uh, population and outcompete them and so forth. But there are a lot of uh, – this would have to be an impressive fish to do this because the only place that the FDA will, will allow this company to grow these fish are in above-ground freshwater tanks high in the Panamanian Mountains, which wow. to me sounds more like, like a, I don't know, a layer of a Bond villain or something right. like that you know, than a fish hatchery. And so for these things to get into the regular population, they'd have to break out of their freshwater tanks. They'd have to go down the mountain. They'd have to get swim through a river into an ocean, and you know the salmon are cold water species, so it's tough for them to survive in equatorial waters. Then they'd have to swim thousands of miles to either the North Atlantic or the North Pacific. And oh, by the way, they're all sterile females. Well, so I mean, you, you saw Jurassic Park too. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. This, this is, is a Jurassic Park reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank um, you, Jeff. No, I, I, I agree. I think there's there's really no threat. I mean, that's not to say that. Uh, genetically modified organisms uh, shouldn't be given some level of scrutiny. I mean, that's sure. with, with any science. We ought to make sure we know what we're doing uh, before Absolutely. we do anything in mass production. But I, I think it's it's pretty funny, the left, uh, sort of the up, upset over this, uh, which, again, 
if you look at the science, and, and Republicans are, are repeatedly being chided for being the party who's against science and so forth, uh, the, the, you know, there's nothing scientifically to show that there's any uh, harm caused by GMOs. Now, the, the fear that, that uh, you bring up is, is something that's a little different, that uh, when these are out in the wild, uh, this happens more with, with crops, that there may be something else that they're uh, a side effect that we're not aware of that hurts another species and so forth. Again, that's a that's a different issue than are they safe for for human consumption. Yeah. And and I think there's a there's a reasonable you know that's a reasonable issue to bring up. Uh, it's called the precautionary principle. Even if there's a small likelihood that something could wipe out an entire population or something, we have to take that into account. I think that's much more of an issue with genetically uh, genetically mo- uh, altered uh, crops like wheat and corn and so forth right. and so on. But with in this case, I, you know, what bugs me about this issue is that I feel like my friends on the left want it both ways. They believe in sustainability, but they also don't want to support GMOs. You can't have it both ways. I mean, if, if you want sustainable agriculture, sustainable agriculture and sustainable farming, you have to have GMOs if you want to feed everyone. There, I just don't see any way around it. I think most people who seriously looked at that don't see any way around it. You can't be all organic and, and whatnot and you know non-GMO and feed all the people we need to feed. So I don't know what they what they expect to happen, but you need to make a choice. And my choice is feeding people. All right. So I will go against my friends on the left yeah. on this uh, and say I absolutely support. I would I would dig right into a Frankenfish with no problem whatsoever. I'd that be okay good. with that. So so it's going to take a few years for these things to come to market. But I will. I don't know if I'll line up to buy one, but. I, I certainly wouldn't have a problem eating uh, one of those uh, Aqua Advantage salmon. Aqua Advantage. Make mine an Aqua Advantage. Absolutely. make. So um, one other thing I want to mention, we kind of have a lighter side sort of story. Uh, Bobby Jindal, you, you've heard of him. Who? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm most sorry. people are saying. Yeah. Bobby Jindal, the uh, governor of Louisiana, has dropped out of the Republican presidential contest. Right, right. This is this is a seismic uh, shift here. This is a guy. (laughs) This this is a guy who couldn't quite crack zero point three percent in the polls, which is understandable because his disapproval rating in his own his disapproval rating in his own state in a recent poll seventy percent. They hate him everywhere, even at home. Well, I I say they don't know him anywhere. They just I would say for the most part. Uh, again, take take that into account that there are a lot of Democrats in Louisiana. Louisiana is sort of a traditionally Democratic state. Um, um, but I think it's from the Republican standpoint, uh, he's just one of these guys that uh, he hasn't really generated a whole lot of excitement. Uh, to say. There's, you know, I mean, I know what I'm saying is I don't think anybody hates him. Well, in uh, in on, uh, on Republican, it, it's more just the like. Eh. Even in Louisiana, 55 percent of Republicans disapprove of his performance. Well, his approval because like, he's probably not conservative. Enough. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, certainly. Uh, I don't think he's any great loss to the race. I don't even know why some of these guys. I don't. I don't quite get how they why they're running in the first place. Maybe he's shooting for uh, a Fox News commentary spot or something like that after uh, after he. Uh, does not run for re-election in Louisiana, which I can't imagine he would win. So, yeah, yeah I don't. Some of these people are just real head scratchers, and, and I would certainly. If, well, if you remember, maybe it was probably about ooh, eight years ago, maybe longer than that. Jindal was sort of toted yeah. as up and as coming. Being, uh, here's here's yeah the next up and coming guy, and 
Um, he was the next big thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, was sort of the guy designated to give the Republican response to the State of the Union. Like the, and the new Coke of the Republican Party, I think. That's that's a very apt analogy. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's it. And it just it just didn't catch on. He just didn't catch on. A little. It's sort of he really is, is, hadn't, still hasn't gotten the memo or maybe just got it last week. Yeah. Um, so – so and then there were I don't know something like uh, how many are there now thirteen or something maybe. like that I don't know but in any case there are only really I would say three or four legitimate candidates at this point right Marco Rubio Donald Trump Ted Cruz Jeb Bush I think that's about it that'd be my top am I missing uh, anyone you know I don't think so really um, you know I think Carly Fiorina ought to be put in the equation at some point really I'm not saying she's she's the person but no I. She she may for the for the outsiders she may prove to be the uh, least crazy outsider choice. Hmm, okay, and, uh, and I can see as as Trump and Carson continue to do more and more goofy stuff, or yes, just they will. make sort of or just make sort of rookie mistakes. I think some of the that support uh, the you know outsider support will flow to Fiorina. So you don't think I'm not, I'm not saying she gets a nomination, but I'm saying she's still someone to. Be taken seriously. So you'd say she has a slightly better shot than, say, George Pataki? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. I think I could say that too. Yeah. All right. All right, then. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard about this kind of story that caught my eye this week. Uh, you know, I, I always tell my students that they should they should vote, and sometimes I wonder if I should tell them that because if you do the numbers, if you do, if you do the math, your chances of affecting the outcome of an election awfully, awfully small. They're actually smaller by some calculations than being struck by lightning on your way to the polls, at least for a presidential election. But every once in a while, your vote does matter. That's why you should vote, vote, you know, by mail. Excellent point that you can't be too safe, can you? So, but anyway, uh, this item caught my mind because it caught my eye because on Friday, there was a state house of representatives race in Mississippi that was decided by drawing straws. And the reason why they drew straws was because the voters had deadlocked between the two candidates, uh, a Democrat 19 year incumbent uh, named Blaine Eaton and his Republican challenger. Each of them got 4,589 votes. And by oh, wow. state law in Mississippi, that meant they drew straws. Drawing straws seems that, I mean, I guess that uh, I would. Some states do know. flipping a coin. Uh, that Mississippi draws straws, but you know, every once in a while you get. A I would have expected like it to be something more like having to do with like wrestling a pig or, or a duel. Like that. A duel would be great. Yeah, That'd exactly. Be yeah, you know, something. I, I, I should. I mean, we probably just alienated all our Mississippi listeners. But yes. I, sorry about that, Mississippi we listeners. Still got the Brazilians. That's important. Yeah, we'll make up for it in Brazilians. Absolutely. So you know, but there are a couple interesting things about this. Not just that every once in a while your vote might count. One thing I think it's important to point out is your vote's a lot more likely to count at the local and regional level because there are yes, a lot fewer people. Yeah. I mean, 4,589 yeah. votes each, that's not that many votes. Another important thing, at least in this context of this race, is the fact that the Democrat ended up winning this drawing of straws prevented the Republicans in Mississippi from getting a supermajority they needed to run through basically whatever they wanted because Democrat or Republicans in Mississippi control basically everything. And so this really had some serious political implications. This was if one more if one more Republican would have come out and voted, then Republicans would have been been able to do whatever they wanted to the state of Mississippi. 
not for, I, right. you know, to <laughs> the state of Mississippi. Use that word very, that's, very that's consciously. Right. Well, although I mean, look to 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 be fair, I mean, I don't I don't think uh, how many close calls are there where uh, not too the many legislature has has uh, had to override a veto or tried to override a veto. Yeah, there, there aren't there aren't that many, but you know, these things do happen. It also illustrates, I think, another important point is that the Democrat who barely won. This guy had been in there for 19 years, uh, and it really illustrates how things have changed so much in the South. In every state south of Virginia, Republicans control the governorships and both chambers of the legislature. And that, 20 years ago, would be unheard of. You know, the South used to be the solid South for Repub- for Democrats. Now it's essentially the solid South for Republicans. You know, we clearly see a major change uh, in that. And so, you know, definitely this guy hung on to win, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, this is his last term in office, if he couldn't beat this, you know, this new incumbent or this new challenger coming up to, to challenge him. So anyway, I thought that was interesting, drawing straws in Mississippi to see who gets to represent them in the statehouse. Now, I know... You also had a story, a uh, kind of more offbeat story for this week, didn't you? Well, this is this is a little offbeat, but it's it's also a little bit serious. Um, and this is, uh, you know, someone I saw a Facebook meme uh, last week, uh, uh, sort of chiding Republicans for not having a sense of humor. Uh, it had had to do with uh, that uh, Republican viewership for the um, uh, Stephen Colbert uh, Late Show. Okay, uh, I've, I've like weren't that great to begin with and have been declined precipitously. And, the, the, you know, and this was from, I don't know, it was probably Salon or Slate or, or one of those. Um, but, you know, the idea was that, you know, Republicans Your browsers and block those, those sites? My gosh. I'm, I'm working on it. Okay. I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, the idea was that Republicans just can't take jokes and are, are horribly serious, unfunny, uh, puritanical people. You aside, um, that has been my experience with, with many Republicans, but you, of course, are a oh, notable on, exception. PJ O'Rourke, come on! Yeah, he used Reagan, to be funny, Reagan like hilarious. Way in the eighties, yeah. PJ O'Rourke used to be funny many, many years. Just like Dennis Miller used to be funny. There are a lot of Republicans who used to be funny. All right. Well, regardless. Okay. Regardless. Um, please go on. Someone who doesn't also doesn't have very good sense of humor is Hillary Clinton. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. She, uh, uh, her campaign team has gone after the uh, famed L.A. Uh, comedy club, the Laugh Factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was this was a place where a lot of you know Jerry Seinfelds and Jay Leno's and uh, uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, George Carlin have all played this place, and it's uh, you know fair, fairly famous. Um, but uh, Hillary's campaign, the Laugh Factory, put together sort of a little highlight clip of various comedians at their place making fun of Hillary Clinton. That oh, sounds great. Uh, yeah, and and some of the some of the stuff. Uh, one comedian, Greg Fitzsimmons, uh, had, uh, had a, a greeting for Hillary. Uh, you look great. Nothing like a skirt, suit, and shoulder pads to say I'm all woman. Um, uh. Uh, uh, one someone else uh, had also uh, said that uh, she looks like she's playing linebacker for TJ Maxx. Um, well, okay, anyway, I don't have to like the jokes. All right, the, the whole kind yeah, of sexist, yeah. uh, what a yeah. woman wearing her appearance kind of stuff. But anyway. But, I understand that's not the, the point. Thing is, well, uh, and there may be more jokes, but I can't tell you them because the site has been taken down by the demands of the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, and this was uh, Jamie Masada, who is the, um, uh, I think she's the founder of the uh, uh, of the of the comedy club, mm-hmm. has received complaints and from Hillary Clinton saying that uh, 
she received a phone call from a prominent person saying that the video was disgusting and asked me to, uh, to take this down. Uh, and also uh, that uh, they would essentially put them out of business uh, if they don't uh, comply. Wow. Uh, now, unfortunately, the, um, the, the video has been taken down. I guess you can still find it maybe on YouTube uh, if you search Hillary Clinton versus, versus the First Amendment, although Jeez, she may have okay. gotten to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, and again, this is this is something that, look, it's it's sort of funny that um, Hillary Clinton is, is going after uh, a, a comedy club. On the other hand, it's also kind of scary as hell uh, that Hillary Clinton is going after a, a comedy club um, for the very same reason that, look, this is this is sort of innocuous. What people making fun of how she looks and all right, fair enough. Uh, people made fun of Lincoln and how he looked and people made fun of Reagan and people made fun of Nixon. And this is, this is really part of American life. And it's one of the, the great things that we can make fun of our leaders and, and nobody cares. Well, yeah, I, I, I would disagree a little bit with that. I would say I have a, I have a real problem with people who uh, apply that sort of double standard, that other standard for female candidates and feel that it's okay to take jibes at their, take shots at their appearance. But that's not really the point. I think that is, uh, in, in, at least in poor taste, I think it's wrong. I think it's sexist. I think it maybe is, in many cases, not just borderline, but actually misogynistic. But that's not the point. The point is, is that I think that people should be allowed to be the, the freedom to be right. uh, misogynistic. And I, and, and I think this needs to be out in open debate. And by shutting this down, uh, I think that's, yeah, I think I have a huge problem with that. I think one of the things that this country is about is allowing people to express their opinions and not shutting them down. And I may find those opinions hateful and not at all funny, but that doesn't mean I don't, I want to, I want to shut them down. And I'm really, oh, uh, you don't find that hateful. I, in some cases, I think it's. It might hateful. not be funny. I mean, no, no, but you're, you don't have look. You don't have to like the jokes. Absolutely. Uh, but but making fun of presidents and presidential candidates is a huge part of of what sure. we do. Absolutely. Um, it's sort of a, a relief valve, uh, and it also keeps the candidates real. And you know, if if you look back at uh, you know you know what Trump on Saturday Night Live uh, a week or two ago, and again, not particularly funny, but he's he's out there and. Um, uh, you know, probably the the big big uh, highlight was you know Nixon on uh, laughing, and uh, but there's this sense that that is a tradition of American politics sure. that uh, fair or not, uh, if someone is running for or holding the top position uh, and you know maybe the most powerful person in the world, uh, you got to be able to make fun of them. I think I think uh, what we. It just occurs to me that maybe what we need to do is to make some, I don't know, some, some Hillary Clinton or, or Ben Carson or someone jokes and get them to try to take our site down. We do. You know, we, 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 really to, we totally we, ought to do that. We, we to should put together – maybe maybe we can do that in the next week or so. Kind of like a – yeah. We put like together a, our, our, our highlight list. I like it. Of our, our best best jokes and uh, – It uh, might be a short list, but okay. First. Yeah, absolutely. I think that – try to make it go viral and next thing we know, maybe we'll get contacted by a can't. That would be very exciting, wouldn't it? I, just, right. I think we'll I think I think the listeners in Brazil would love that. Um, anyway, uh, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks very much for listening, guys, uh, folks. Sorry, that sounded sexist. My God, what's Jeez. wrong with me? Holy the crap! Hate. Oh, you Feel know, 
People, male, female, whoever you are, thank you so much for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, God, now you probably have a bunch of criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take just a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you join us.